You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back, guys. Land and Lakes Podcast. Adam yes. here. Yes. I'm, ex- I'm It's going to be a little windy, maybe, a little background noise on this one. But you know what? It feels good to be outside. Yeah, it feels <laughs> good to be recording in person. Yes, that, that too. That too. Um, I... I'm excited because it's at by the time everyone's listening to this podcast recording, we're really turning over like to the twelfth, thirteenth of October. So the next couple of weeks, really things start kicking in gear. Is really why we are so busy throughout the whole year. Yeah. So over the next couple of weeks, when most guys are taking vacation time, they're taking their their uh, trips to the farm, and they're trying to enjoy. Uh, the fall, the rut, pre-rut, mm-hmm. all the times, all the fun times of whitetail hunting for much of the people, for much of our listenership. That's right. not got a weird rut time frame like February or January. Oh, yeah. So most of the guys are going to be hitting it hard over the next few weeks, which reminds me to encourage our listeners to go to YouTube and subscribe. Yes. Because we have a new, well, we have several videos that we'll be dumping over the next few weeks, so I hope you guys don't miss those. Is, is the really good one that's coming out, is it going to be live right now when they're listening to this? Yeah, most likely. Okay, yeah. cool. Sweet. Yeah, that, that I say that. My internet has been horrible here. Yeah. Trying and to it's upload. like, I, I, even trying to watch the videos, it yeah. was slow here. I Dang. think they're just trying to get me to up my... Probably. It's like that old 5G. We've had this conversation. We went and got our, made our order for the iPhone to try to get new 5G, and apparently it's not even helping. Yeah, supposedly the service uh, where we need it the most is, is not the best with that. Drives that's me one, bonkers. That's one one person's opinion, but we'll see. We're going to put it to the test. But, yeah, the the, the hunts are, are coming out. A um, couple successful hunts that we've talked about on the podcast. Yep. So they'll be fun to watch. And then I know time frame schedules. Whenever whenever Seth Harker starts texting me more, he's either on a good deer or his and, and his work schedule is becoming a little bit more easier to handle. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, I think we're gonna make some plans to head out uh, later this week. Um, and he's he's on some on some deer as always, which is cool. So it, it'll be it'll be fun. Um, to see and kind of slow down a little bit, enjoy some of the 
fall that yeah. we have coming. I've got a consult tomorrow. Yep. And that appears to be my last one for the fall, at least until December mm-hmm. or January. So I'm going to go to Iowa this week, and then after that, same thing. It just yeah. slows right back down. So that's so I'm going to try to finish up all my reports and get everything off my table by November 1st. That's that's wise. Yeah. <laughs> that so. is wise. Because – and. Just like always, it seems to always heat up right then and there. All these rut predictions, this and that. Regardless, I'm hunting then. Yeah, no doubt. I'm just going to try and spend some time in the woods. Yep. So, before we get started, quick reminder to everyone, if you haven't yet already checked out the new Vortex apparel line, there's some summer stuff, but I think they've just released maybe some new fall apparel as well. Um if you see us consulting, doing videos, that's the gear that we're always wearing. Adam, you got a hat on right now um, and a shirt from, from Vortex. That's so pretty much all I wear. Yeah, so go check out Vortex.com and use the code LEGACY20 at checkout on all their apparel lines. That's right. So, Adam, last week we had done a breakdown of priorities. Yeah, On. Yep. The farm or a portion of the farm that you and Chad had bought. Yep. And pretty much the kind of the recreational with a little bit of pasture ground. Yeah. Trying to, you know, be relatable to a lot of people where you have a little bit of your income producer or potential, which, you know, if you take last week's map. Right. If you take that and put it in much of the the, the farms we work that open ground probably goes underutilized. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, how often do we see where there's a little bit of opening and the neighbor cuts the hay and they don't make any money on it? They just cut it to keep it cleaned up. It's pretty. It's pretty common. We've very seen common. A lot. Yeah. Um. So so there's not. So it's so it's overtaken by cool season grasses without the utilization of those. Um. There's no money exchanged there. No money made. Right. Yep. So. It's a complete waste of open acres, and that's some of the most valuable stuff that you can have on your property is open acres just for the amount of food that can be produced or cover that can be produced in those acres. Um, But but that was a really good mixture of heavy timber, some emphasis on multi-use on the cattle side, but overall approached it from a decent chunk of ground heavy timber, here's what it is that you're prioritizing in the lineup of all the work that you're trying to accomplish and get done. Where the emphasis is and the resources, mainly time as the resource. Um, And I guess I want to stress this too. I feel like a lot of people may may use this excuse um, or throw this out often but you don't have to have a lot of money to be able to do this stuff. And so, like, from a resource standpoint, yeah. time, I feel like if you have ground to work, time is more important than having this unlimited or really healthy fund every single year to be able to devote to the property itself. Yeah. If you have time, sure, you can get some stuff done. You don't have to have the latest, greatest, biggest tractor, this and that. There's things that you can get done on recreational properties that make you money, but also just don't require an incredible amount of money to actually accomplish. It, it's take time to do it, do it right, and you will see this big benefit. No doubt. No doubt. I, and I think that's where we really we really uh, do well in our business is understanding that aspect and those practices and utilizing those first rather than saying, you know, like it would have been easy to show up at my place, the, the map we used last week, and say, mm-hmm. okay, let's level all the flat ridge tops, let's make roads everywhere, and call it good. When in reality, we can use a timber operation to create bedding, create the roads or yep. i mean uh, the good base or foundation of the road system and then get us prep for you know make a little make some money pay for get the food plots put in and have the road system fixed up and all of a sudden you're like i'm coming out ahead in that aspect right. you you may have gotten greatly you may have gotten 
the roads and the food pl- or the the ridges dozed off quicker than than the route you're taking now. Yeah. But but this is the other I'd say key point before we really get into the podcast is there's some things in land management that just take time, and you cannot you cannot um, outrace creation and the biological process that just need to happen to create the best success. You can't spend more money. You can't wish away time. You can't leapfrog two years to get yep. to that point. You just have to realize that it is going to take some time to develop and get the responses that you're looking for. That's right. That's right. There, I, I, I see. I see that a lot. And and I, you're gung ho, Adam. You you guys wish that, you know. Well, I think we talked about on on the other podcast this week. We don't wish away time because you know how good things can be. You've got to enjoy this process and know that throughout getting to the long-term vision that you have created in your mind, um, there's going to be still success to be had. Yeah. You just just don't wish that away and don't try and leapfrog in front of it because there's a lot to be learned in that growth period of things developing plant communities and the way wildlife respond to that. No doubt. Got to take all that in. Yeah. Um, so in comparison to last week's podcast about priorities, that was about 320 acres. Give or take. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember what we S- ended up saying. Something Somewhere like that. There. Yeah, it was uh, like 320. 320? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So this property uh, is the property that my wife and I bought. This is 35 acres. So much more scaled down, but we wanted to be able to give this comparison of okay same region how how would you attack this property based on the differences in size and then the difference in composition of open ground to timber ground but also differences in overall goals as well because you guys are in a position i'd live here right so this is just you know the acreage surrounding the house um you guys are utilizing cattle to be able to um, pay for the property, this is just this yeah. is just my home, right? Yeah. So I don't have that emphasis as a priority up front. Are there going to be a few cows on the property? Yeah, but that's like uh, uh, five, six acres out front, and it doesn't have to be a priority because that's not needed to make the payments on on this property. It's a small place. Yeah. So luckily. But but will that still factor in? Yeah. So so there's a lot there's a lot of similarities from where we're where we're dealing with, uh, but there's also differences. And I think to be able to side by side comparison these will be very helpful for people because they're gonna either gonna fall in your boat, Adam, or fall yep. in my boat, or somewhere in between, and can make these same judgment calls mm-hmm. in the whole priority list. So to kind of break things down, thirty five total acres. Um, so there's seven acres in pasture, five acres of food plots, three acres in old field, what will be old field, and then the remaining 20 How many is timber. yard? About about an acre. Yeah. So. And garden and everything. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's probably a touch more than that, um, but I'm just, I'm rounding that seven. I added that into just pasture because mm. it's cool season base pretty much. So. Gotcha. All in all, we've got 20 acres in timber and roughly 15 open yep. ground. Um, and my personal goals is obviously live there. My my wife loves the idea she of... She lives there too, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I get kicked out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so she loves the garden. She loves chickens and wants to expand kind of this little small hobby farm. So that's pretty important to her. But outside of that, and that's encompassing, you know, let's just call it two acres roughly. around Right there immediately around the house. Outside of making her happy um, and enjoying that as well, the, the goals for the rest of the property is primarily turkeys. I love watching, seeing turkeys and hunting turkeys. And then secondly is white-tailed deer. Yeah. There's quail, but but we're just trying to make this property in the acres outside of those two acres just as good quality habitat as possible yeah. for those species 
in particular. There are quail around. I would like to see them, but it's not a highest priority goal to... I want, I want to allow them to um, exist, persist, and I'm just not trying to like go after high maintenance high management for quail yeah situation so focus as a deer and turkey uh on the remaining portion of those acres with that being said there's a lot of mindset differences in the way we approach a smaller property i say smaller i don't you know there's someone out there who's like well you just call my property small because i have 40 acres that's not it's not meant to be derogatory it's just Comparatively speaking, it's a smaller and recreational yep. property. The, nece- the necessity of having bedding over food, we've covered that in other podcasts, but mm-hmm. that's 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 priority. You you have to have that yep. security feature built in. Especially on small properties. Like, like it, it becomes even more important on small properties, in my yes. opinion. Daylight images, because you own only a certain portion of a core area or a home range specifically for a whitetail if you want daylight occurrence you have to have quality cover on your place to experience that daylight they can't just be on the neighbors and that be satisfactory because you may not based on the distance have any option of daylight activity so for me in a priority list of what I'm going to focus on first number one is create bedding. Create yeah. bedding in a couple different ways and options. But number one is bedding in the timber. So there are, there was, if you listen to previous podcasts, there was a little bit of marketable timber on the place based on its size, based on the, the previous use. Majority of the timber acres, the 20 acres, is is low quality. Um, there's a great mixture uh, or balance of cedar, red oak, occasional white oak, elm, sycamore, post oak, and lots of vines. It yeah. was it was pretty open in years past, and now has kind of filled in with a lot of those species. So, very low quality option in, in timber. So. I, I just went in with the chainsaw this summer and started cutting. And we'll continue to cut, but that was priority number one. We got to make sure we are holding deer close to and on the property itself. If, if I want a chance at being successful during hunting season, that's priority number one. Um, everything else, even if you don't have a food plot on the place, as long as you're holding them, during the daylight hours, you can still hunt successfully. That's that's very achievable if you have bedding. How many how many farms or properties have you heard of that's like, well, that person doesn't do anything. It's just neglected. And they're the farthest thing from caring about a food plot from, obviously, because they've neglected a place, but it's just a rundown farm that's been taken over, you know, 15 years worth of succession. Yeah. How many deer come pouring out of those places? All the time, and that's where guys look for. Uh, it, to me, it's a little bit backwards because you know those farms most of our (coughs) listeners know those farms and they want permission to hunt them yes but yet the time when they get to own one then when they either own one or get permission they ask permission to put in food plots right the value is in the fact that they're living there and they're staying there yeah they're daylight there yes yes and and i think that that's overlooked everyone knows that that's the origin you think of like that that a wheel and and that's the hub of deer bedding because it's secluded it's abandoned right so it's secure but Mm -hmm. but then it has a thick cover and everything kind of spreads out from there i want that to be my place and i can have food on it as well but when you identify those don't go in there and just remove the security aspect and take away that cover to add food well and you think about it i mean we've we've said this a lot and talked about this a lot, covered this a lot from, um, you know, the hundreds of podcasts we've done. But in a lot of, especially timber country, the best cover found, and I'm speaking very, I'm casting a very wide net here, trying to just 
assume a whole lot of things. But the best cover we find, let's say down south, is a clear cut or freshly cut over, mm-hmm. freshly planted pine. Um, or it's an area of high d- tree density. Yes. And kind of overgrown fields, kind of that, like, you know, a little bit younger secession than forest. Yep. And they're like, well, it'd be easier to cut that out and drag those trees over to the edge and burn them rather than going into a big forest and cutting down big trees and then having to deal with the stumps. So they ultimately go for the easier yes. thing. And it and, and when the cover is so limited, that is the best cover in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So it's like immediately gone. Removed. You're gone. You, you took what was good about that, and, and it's like you, you're a coach and you have a really good hitter and – you put him uh, in the American League, and he's a pitcher now, and he gets DH for like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You take what was really good about that farm, and you and you remove it because it's the low hanging fruit as far as removing right. that. And, and it's a low hanging fruit, but but in first priority, your priorities were out of line, and you didn't recognize what the true value was for that piece, and what it was that you needed to be successful on that piece, and what it was was retaining security right. and cover on, on a small property. So. Obviously, betting is number one. Um, went in, create a betting thicket. It's going to be expanded, but right now, going into this season, it's about an acre to an acre and a half, and there will be more um, in in other types and forms of cover that we're going to cu- that we're going to discuss here um, coming down the list. Number two, this is pretty high. Someone's going to be like, "Wow, really?" But yes. Number two for me is food plot. What? Yeah. I'm going to guess water hole next. No. Fruit tree next. Actually, dang it. I didn't have water Mox hole Mock scrape next. Actually, the – I shouldn't say that. Mock's, yeah, mock scrape. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Okay, yeah. So food plot. Someone's like, wow, really? Okay, that's pretty – that's obviously number two on the list. That's pretty That's pretty high up there. Um, and food plot is pretty generic, but there's going to be a, a, a combination of perennial and annual species, um, a large destination food plot, but in addition, um, a couple supporting um, food plots in and around, just, just as kind of transitional kill plots. So why food, though, number two, imp- as an importance level? So, Adam, you're in my, you're in my shoes. Mm-hmm. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, but talk about why food on a small property with bedding already a, a, as a as a superior to food plot why why yeah. is it important because when when you're dealing with properties of this size where it's drastically smaller than i mean even my farm the one we covered last week doesn't cover a home range of a white-tailed deer yeah um so You've got uh, a deer with give or take 550 acre home range, mm-hmm. and you're going. It takes a lot of properties that? that are 35 acres to to add, to, to, to add up to hold that deer. Absolutely. So you go, okay, well that's a home range. Let's talk about core area. And a core area, you know, we talk about it. Uh, I say this a lot on consults, but it's an egg. Crack an egg, and you've got the whites, which is the uh, is the home range, and the yep. yolk is the core area. Yep. There's an area of each deer's pr- uh, home range that they prefer, that they spend the most time, that they that they move during daylight, and so you're trying to create that core area to to be on your 35 acres Absolutely. or right there in imme- an immediate area of of, of yep. your farm. So you do that by providing every single thing they need. On that, definitely. So you try to instead of saying, okay, well they got to go over to the neighbor's alfalfa field, and then they have to come over here and bet on the neighbor um, because that's the best betting, mm-hmm. and then they have to go over there when they really need water and and get it from the other neighbor. And all of a sudden, you've got this big range, this core area that this deer moves around, Which and all of a sudden, he's getting killed by the neighbors. Yes. Yes. So you ultimately, you go from, I need to hold the deer, I need to put them right here on the property, and then I need to give them a wide variety of food, so I'm kind of containing him more uh, regularly than my neighbors. I, I gave I gave that deer and other deer the opportunity to call this place home during daylight hours. Yeah. The other biggest opportunity for other people to take advantage of that deer and its movements would be during dawn and dusk. And a lot of times that's spent feeding. 
Uh-huh. And so if if I controlled it during the daylight or headed the bedding, to bedding, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I controlled that better or the best way possible through good bedding opportunity that's secure, then my next option would be okay. If I cut down the distance that it needs to travel to and from the food, then obviously everything else movement wise is going to shrink down. So if he's not having to leave the property that much, my chances are far better to take advantage of the 35 acres that you do have. So that's right. In 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 total, that's why food plots is super important. And there again, there's about five acres of of 15 total acres. Well, it's a, yeah, 15 total acres that are open, um, yeah. r- roughly there. So yeah. um, think think bigger. I'm I'm talking to our listeners. Yes. Think bigger. Try to like drone shot picture a deer bedded on you and go, okay, where's he going? Where's the best available food source? And it's hard to define food source from day to day, hour to hour, week yeah. to week. Yeah. But let's just say that, okay, there's hardly any acorns. There is a really nice, I'll, I'll use the, the hunt that Chad, mm-hmm. that we just dropped on YouTube, where there's alfalfa. Well, we know where they're going. Yeah. But the biggest question with that one is, where they bedded. Mm-hmm. And if you can move the bedding, you have a much greater chance of seeing them during daylight. Totally. And, and that's so, what, and that's what that farm didn't have that Chad killed on, but we yeah. had to go in and be aggressive because the distance between bed to food was great. And that's, I mean, that shows how powerful that food source was. Absolutely. He was coming in there on a pretty regular basis. So yep. Yep. Um, it, it might be pretty, pretty slim pickings around that part of the world come late winter. Oh, well, for sure. If the alfalfa gets cut and doesn't grow back, but the gr- the weather we're having right now, the alfalfa will grow back past Ooh. the last cutting. Yeah, it'll so. be it'll be pretty good. Yeah. So so that's the importance of food plot and and with the varieties that will be on this place, revival, some alfalfa, some heritage, um diversity across mm-hmm. the board always having supplemental food. Turkeys will all obviously respond to the clover and alfalfa really pretty well too. So um, that's mm-hmm. that's also a, a, a got to check that box. Yeah. Um, for, for the turkeys. And how big is the bedding cut that you did? Right now it's about an acre and a half. So but you have twenty ex- acres of of timber. Yeah. And you did about an acre and a half of really dense bedding. Yes. Are there any other cuts happening? That is going to be expanded. Okay. What's the end goal? The end goal I'd like to have. Three to four. Yeah, I need to. Almost, I didn't want to go almost twenty five percent of of, the of that timber. timber. Yeah, no. I didn't until watch deer respond to all the other things that are happening. Yeah, I wanted to ha- make sure it was present before expanding to the future long term. Got to be able, got to be able to swing around the north side of the property still to access a, a saddle. Yeah, so I don't want to push it too much. I want to watch, take a year to see, and then get back in there and and cut more. Yeah, so. Um, that's the future goal. And again, 25% uh, of, of a timbered acreage as good dense bedding, um, is, is pretty substantial, I think for a lot of recreational properties, but, but we're going to get to, uh, area number four and discuss other opportunities for, for some bedding throughout an entire year. But number three is, uh, invasive species. Yeah. Invasive species for you was pretty far down the list, and that yep. was based on your site specifically. You had yep. multiflora rows. Um, you had some issues, uh, cerisa and pastures, um, and then I'm thinking of the perilla. What is perilla? Yeah, the, the, the beef steak. Beef steak, yeah. Yep. Um, that, that you've had to kind of contend with. But for, for me, in the timber, in portions of this property, um, there is heavy multiflora rows and bush honeysuckle. I mean, where yep. it's... It's a, I can't ignore any of that. Um, I need to go in there. And before I open up the canopy, I've got to go in and address that invasive species. So I've spent some time the last two weeks ahead of doing FSI in some areas going through and either pulling um, bush honeysuckle sprouts, the young stuff, but uh, we'll follow back up with herbicide this time of the year and kill it out. Yeah. Before going in there. So invasive species is super important. And then on some of the open acres that will be old field, that is uh, issues with Cerisa Yeah. And so you've got, if those aren't taken care of prior to, 
everything else kind of loses value from what I've yeah. seen on this place. I, it's easy to go forward and um, address those just to make sure the longevity of what it is you do has more value. Yeah, and I think, too, you want to address, you know, when you did the timber harvest, you cut walnuts out. That was through much of the timbered 20 acres. Yeah. So you open up the canopy. Then you did this acre-and-a-half cut. So you went from secure cover where you cut this, I mean, borderline micro clear cut to this big timber thinning where you're going to more comfort cover. Not yeah. to say a deer wouldn't bed out there, but especially during the winter, they're going to be focused more on that clear cut where there's a lot of woody vegetation right, and, right. and woody structure in the ground. So you go from comfort cover, which can certainly help daylight activity, mm-hmm. especially when they bed in the dense secure cover and they stand up and they walk through the other area that's been cut. I mean, you're now going, okay, there's a better chance of daylight activity. Oh, yeah. Then when you flip it in, you go with invasive species, you're ensuring that what has been cut doesn't blow back up in multiple rows, bush, honeysuckle, autumn, olive. And that's the thing, and we've mentioned this on the podcast, this phrase before, but when you're dealing Sorry. with a smaller property, you, my mindset is not acreage. It's more or less, I have five five acres or how many, however many square footage of good dense bedding cover of the 20 acres of timber. Yeah. If I start losing that to invasive species or it's being overtaken, then I don't have that amount of square footage left that's valuable. And so when you start to have an encroachment of these species, it really eats into an overall percentage of the property when you have a smaller property. Yeah. So you've got to think of managing feet, managing yards versus managing acres. Individual plants really can make a difference on this, uh, on, on a site like this. Right. So that's why priority it's up there it's literally it's number three um number four is old field management yep there is uh three acres of what is going to be old field on the property up leading up into spraying out uh the cool season grass which is coming in the next couple weeks on this particular site um Cerise Lespedeza was sprayed throughout the summer. Um, there are some cedar trees. There are some scattered red oaks, a couple scattered sycamores, a few persimmon in and around. Um, persimmon? D- yeah. Dotted out throughout the uh, through the old field. Um, and those are going to be eventually cut, but I couldn't add that way structure to the ground prior to spraying out the fescue. You had to address the fescue. So this is yeah. great for... Uh, additional summertime forage uh, for fawning cover, for broods, for um, turkey nests. And so that element needed to be there. And the way the layout of the property, it made sense that it was that acreage, although someone was like, wow, you could add three more acres of food. It was not conducive to hunting whatsoever. So that also can, if there is a robust enough um, response from, the forage and that woody structure in the old field, mm-hmm. I would, I would anticipate deer bedded in that as well. So there's right now an acre and a half bedding thicket, hopefully expanded to be three to four acres. There you go, right there. Monarch, yep. Monarch butterfly flying through the backyard in the subdivision. I've seen a bunch of them here yeah. in the last few weeks. They're really migrating south, even though that guy was headed north. <laughs> um. So, so eventually there's going to be four acres of the bedding thicket adjacent to three acres of old field. Yeah. So that proximity of that open space that is in good quality native cover yeah. only increases the overall security usage, daylight usage of deer yeah. uh, across property while still checking the boxes for what needs to be present on a property to try and help raise turkeys, attract turkeys um, throughout throughout a year. So and quail. And quail, right. Yeah. It checks that box as well. So old field is, is, is important. Um, and, and similar to yours, fire is now number five. I, yeah. I don't know what number that was, but essentially... I was for, somewhere in the middle. For, for, for you, though, it doesn't... And, and, and for me, and really, I guess any property, fire doesn't make sense until you have the habitat created. That you want the the, the Fire plant was communities four for me after timber management uh, bedding pasture me? yes I had pasture management number one number two was 
Um, I think it's betting, right? Betting tickets, yeah. Yep. And then number three was timber management, and then number four was fire. Yep. So the reason fire is ahead of forest and improvement for me, because that's the that's the sixth one is is forest improvement is I need fire to manage the old field. I would no. need fire to manage that bedding thicket, and it can run and through the, the rest and the invasives. Yeah, and then the logging, the walnut logging, had created those openings, so I still have a mixture of some open land that fire would help um, control and reset all that vegetation. So fire is that maintenance tool, so it comes right after the tools that you use to implement good quality um, plant communities on a given property, no matter its size, whether it's 35 or 320. Um, and so then following that is forest stand improvement. 20 acres of timber, and let's say four of that is going to be a dense bedding thicket. I've got about 15, 16 other acres that I can try and improve the mass production on. I can try and improve that that phrase you said earlier, the comfort cover yeah. uh, across the property. Because it's not like you're going to hinge cut a lot of these trees. No. You're going to be a lot more flush cutting yes. and trying to encourage regeneration of the of the next forest or the next yes. age of trees. You're trying to kill out any of the, the junky, the, the species that you don't want to encourage mm-hmm. on that upland site. Um, anything like that, you're 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 not really going in and hinge cutting the majority, if any. Well, and and specifically on the site, what's what's neat about it is the past history of a lot of it have been pasture. There's a lot of bigger mass-producing trees that are very scattered, and and when you look at everything in between, it's typically younger age pioneering type tree species. Um, that have just filled in essentially. So, if if I go pretty intense on the the forest stand improvement and remove all the junky trees, I'm left with a lot of the mass producers and quite a bit of space in between, freeing up them. They're going to be more productive, but then creating that robust understory yeah. in it. And so, but I can't do that in some portions without first addressing the honeysuckle because I will only get honeysuckle and a little bit of spice bush back yeah. because of the site. So um, that then comes the, the, the next priority is increase the advantage um, and the opportunity productiveness of the remaining 15 acres of timber. After that, edge feathering. Yeah. With with a property that's got 15, or excuse me, 20 acres of timber, and uh, the rest in fields, that leaves a pretty good amount of edge on a property. So, yeah. so where they're coming together, um, some of that is old field, but some of that obviously— Not much of it is soft edge, right? Not right now, yep. right. No, it's pretty hard to find edge, but then some of that also is pasture up front. Um, some of that is right around the yard. So when you, when you factor all that into it, um, I'm probably not going to edge feather my yard too hard. Just Why not? for for the You're looks graze of my yard eventually, aren't you? With chickens, <laughs> <laughs> but I, there's going to be a little bit of buffer right there around the house. So based on the acreage, will edge feathering be in here? Absolutely, in and around some tree stand locations. Um, and really, one of the biggest spots for edge feathering is going to be that transition between old field and into that bedding thicket. There's going to be just a couple dotted trees, mass producers left heavy cedars, and they're just going to be cut, dropped right around um, that that unit, let's say. Um, and then after that is native screens. Yep. What's unique about the Which place. didn't even make my list, I don't right. think. Yeah. Um, what's unique about the place is obviously that we're living there. And then on yeah. the south end of the property is an easement road. Um, so there are there is a little bit of additional land, no homes um, back behind us, but there is a very little bit amount of traffic there. However, even if there was not much traffic, I would still expand the edge with native plants and not go straight into food plots. Um, but in addition, I can use a native screen to shield the yard yeah. from the actual open pasture ground behind the house. Oh, excuse me, not... What was once pasture now is food plot. Um, so about that four-acre size of food plot. Yeah. Break up that 
and create this native wall structure that adds security to the food plot. There hasn't been an issue with does coming out to the back food plot during daylight. I was telling Chad the other day, I got home at 2, and from 2 till 5.30, there were deer bedded down in in the food plot. Like, <laughs> what what the heck? So, And the food plot's even, it's not... It's not it, award-winning. No, not by any means. In the last three or four days, it's pretty much completely filled to green, which is great, but there's things like onion grass. There's things like cheat grass. It's not all food plot stuff, yeah. but it's it it has finally gotten some life back to it right. after some of these recent rains. Right. Um, r- regardless, there at least is some comfortableness to that area that I, I hunted at one evening, and most times when I'm at the house and can look out um, the window, deer in the field an hour and a half before dark. So I feel pretty comfortable, but it just tells me that they're betting close, yeah. which is priority number one, which yep. I already covered and kind of as addressed, that's yep. functioning and working like it should. They're spending time in daylight activity where they're, they can be accessed and hunted. Um, so that's good, but this only takes that to the next level. Um, and creates a little bit more of a buffer. Plus, that edge is great for 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 turkeys as well, um, and that's going to help serve uh, additional um, bugging opportunities and screening. and screening for the food plot and just that daylight experience that we're, that we're trying to promote yeah. there. And the screening, you're planting miscanthus. Yeah. Yeah, right. Switchgrass, <laughs> I'm guessing. It's, it, it's a it's a native heavy grass blend. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's got switchgrass as the main component, but Indian grass, it's got little blue in it as well, and um, some big blue. Yeah, Those are the main components of it. Um, the last one, I think it's number nine. Last one is pasture. Yeah. Um, uh, for for. for us and this property it's more it's just kind of a recreational nice thing to have we want to utilize some of the pasture this portion is way up front right off the gravel road obviously yeah. we don't want to food plot food it. plot all of that right yeah. there by, by a gravel road um but we still do want to um have some cattle and so that's why for me on this place it comes in at the bottom of the list it's important and it needs to be addressed and needs to be improved um but from the use of the entire property, it, it just comes in at the bottom of the line. Which, again, hopefully, when people side-by-side side comparison, if, if you missed last week, go back and listen to that podcast. Listen to the priorities that, that Adam discussed with your property in that 320 20 acres. And, and listen to the goals, the size, and everything on this property. And I think it'll become clear why you do things in such an order. Yeah. It's it's great and important to have boxes checked of okay this type of plant community is here my energy and time resources spent doing um, all these different things but if they're out of whack you can still be underutilizing your property because there's yep. so many people who are passionate about land management and they do a lot of great things but if if the resource of time was reallocated to the right techniques, even though they're really busy on the property, their impact on that property would be greater. Yep. Hence why we're doing these podcasts. Yep, no doubt. The prioritizement of projects is a huge win. In relation to your goals. Yeah. As a property. Yes. Yep. And, yep. And, and the region and uh, the size of the property... Your goals, all of that matter and play into this variable. Um, and and that's why, Adam, we it's nothing that's like cookie cutter yeah. when it comes to a report. Or it's nothing cookie cutter that comes to an on-site evaluation. All of these things are questions we ask and we can't formulate these responses without having good, clear goals and objectives. What was your... Uh We'll read. My number one yep. was pasture management. Where was pasture, pasture management on yours? Nine? Yep, nine. The last one. Yep. So number two for me was bedding thicket young forest. That was number one for you. Yes. Number three for me was timber management. That was number 
That was number seven for me. Yeah, so big swap, big obviously. Sw- same region, big swap. And and guess what? One, one thing that we kept quoting or, or saying um, with yours is that's the dominant habitat type. Yeah. Which, and you look at my acreage, I have a lot of timber too. Yeah. But I had a bigger percentage of bedding and and yeah. The, and on a smaller property, the FSI isn't as valuable as some of the other features yeah. that need to happen on the property. What's interesting is it's almost 50-50 timber to yes. timber to uh pasture on your right. place. But even though it's almost 50-50, you still put pasture management way down the list based on goals. Because if you go buy three or four steers and one of them doesn't make it to slaughter, yeah, big whoop. Honestly, yeah, It'll it kind of stinks, but it's not make or break. No. If I have ten steers or ten, you know, calves not make it, mm, I'm going <laughs> to be selling hunts. Yeah, you're right, right. So it, it's it's important to lay out those expectations so you know where your emphasis and, and priority yeah. needs to be. What was number so number five for me was. Where's number five? Food plots. It's number two for number you. Number two for me. Yeah, and we're only but 10 miles apart. Yeah. Uh, number six for me was... Do I even have... Uh, invasives. That was number three for yeah. me. And number seven for me was edge feathering. Mm-hmm. That was number... That's actually number seven for me. FSI earlier was number six. Gotcha. Number so. eight was water. Because I don't have water. Mm-hmm. I didn't add water to yeah. it. There's there's a pond on the property, um, a year-round pond. Yeah. I added one from a transitional standpoint. Yeah. And for ease of putting in when there's a skid steer on the place, How's did it, it need to? Really well. Good. It, it's filled 75% up to the top right now and, and holding. It, yeah. It, since we got rain... Because the in first September. time we saw it, we had a bunch of rain. You could see that it kind of... Yes. But it's going to take some time for things to settle. Settle and pack and really hold. Yeah. Um, but since we got rain in early September um, and enough to to put water in it, it's held water. So I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, look at that. Um, it, it, if, I had added, if I had added it to my list... Yeah. I probably would have put it between native screens and pasture. Yeah. And and that would have been a water resource for, not for cattle, but just for wildlife. Yeah. I I would have put it low on the list. Number nine, I did native planting. Mm Mm-hmm. Number 10, I did old field management. Which old field management for me was number four. And number 11, I did tree planting. Mm-hmm. For erosion control, basically, and diversifying my riparian area. So, yeah, yeah, you know, and and that's well, the difference between. I mean, same region, yeah, relatively same habitat type, same plant communities. Um, you have a little bit more of the shrubby invasive than I have, mm-hmm. but it's coming, so that I'm going to keep learning. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's why each property is different. I could go and I've consulted on properties and then turn around a year later and consult on the neighboring property. Yep. And the layout or the the pro the projects is totally different. Yep. And it, it, that's one of the fun things because maybe they feel like they're getting gypped. Well, he didn't even talk about that on my place. Well, it's not important on your place. Exactly. Like yeah. you, it, it, if it was important, it would be on there. Yeah. Um. If it was important to your goals, if it was important to the property, or you had that feature to be able to be managed, it would be on there. Yeah. Um. So yeah. I I think this is the cool part part about what it is we do and what it is that everyone who's listening is managing to. You're you're managing individual parcels. So every week we might travel to another place and see that property. Like yeah. it it is it is that one. So we see something new every day. We might be working with the same puzzle pieces to put on properties, but the way they're aligned, the way they're they're yeah. laid out, some I might only use half of them, some I might use all of them. Whatever the case may be, each place is unique. So so we can look to places and resources um, for information, but but it's not. Don't look for blanket statements. Don't look for absolutes. Be creative and and apply what it is you do learn from these varied resources. Apply it to your property particularly yeah 
Because if I had just followed your same management yeah. routine. That would have been routine. a goofy-looking property. Yeah. It, it, the, the turnaround, your return on your investment would be much slower than what it is on my place. Like, right. Like, using the same projects. It's like, I'm going to go build a house. Well, what do I need first? I need a concrete truck. I need to get some shovels, backhoe. But yet, you're going, I'm going to go build a house. Well, first you need a bulldozer to start dozing out the trees. What? It's totally different. Totally I'm going to use hammers. Well, you're going to use nail guns. Like, yeah. And, and the tools are... About the same. Yep. The way we use those tools, totally different. Absolutely. That's why I feel like some of the clients I've worked with in the last few years, I can see it whenever we go towards the end, and I'm like, do you have any questions? Mm-hmm. Is there anything I haven't covered that you expect me to cover? The number one thing is edge feathering. Right. And if I go to Oklahoma or Kansas or any prairie <laughs> states, I'm like, I, the only edge feathering I talk about is around food plots to try to steer them in the bow range. Right. Yeah, this whole thing is soft the, edge. The whole thing is either soft edge or the other practices are going to create the soft yeah. edge that it needs to be. You're, you're already so much closer yeah. to what it is that's desirable in a transitional zone in those states opposed to Virginia, opposed yeah. to Indiana, Pennsylvania. You've got to create an edge deeper than a foot. It's just yeah. not even present out there. So you know, that perfect example, probably high prevalence or usage of edge feathering in those states on most of those properties opposed to Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, That's Nebraska. Right. Um, That's right. <laughs> every place is unique. That's what keeps That's right. it fun. Mm-hmm. Keeps it interesting. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. Go make sure you check out YouTube, YouTube and subscribe and, nope. and click on the little bell so you get notified with each new episode. Leave a comment. I don't know. Make fun of Chad and his reaction or something. I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> also, reviews on iTunes would be great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anytime you guys can support us. Fall is still up and running on the – we only have turkey hats now. The uh, camo – Turkey hats fall for twelve dollars off. Ooh, that's uh, a it's good like deal. I don't know, fifteen hats left maybe now. Yeah, yeah. So clean them yeah. out, get rid of them, guys. We appreciate it. We'll uh, see you here yep. next week. <laughs>